Uh, this morning, we are continuing on in a series in the book of Galatians, if you've been here with us. And um, one of the things that I remember studying when I was in seminary was an area of study called apologetics. Now, some of you have heard that phrase, and some of you may not have. What that simply means is a defense of the faith. What apologetics says is our faith, our, our trust in Jesus Christ, it has a reasonableness to it. That we can look at things and it, it makes sense that we just don't believe blindly, but that God, because of his goodness, has given us evidence that what the Bible says is true. There's a lot of areas of apologetics, a few things that have always jumped out at me and that stick in my mind. One, the key of our faith. If you could remove one thing in our faith in Jesus Christ, all that we hold to, all that we teach, all that we believe would completely crumble. If you could disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what our faith is built upon. The fact that he defeated death and that we too will have victory over death. And all you have to do to disprove the resurrection was come up with a body. In fact, God, in his goodness, put the highest trained military professionals guarding Jesus' tomb. They guard Jesus' tomb. It was sealed with a Roman seal. And if these guards, if somebody stole Jesus' body, the guards would be killed. That's the type of guard they had to do. They had to guard Jesus' tomb, and if the body came up missing, they're the ones who would be executed. And we see that the guards, after Jesus' resurrection in Matthew, they come to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, and they're asking what to do. And the Jewish leaders say, hey, listen, we're going to give you, and Scripture says, a large sum of money. You just go along with our story, and we'll tell the people above you a story that will protect you. Nobody's ever found. C.S. Lewis, his great apologetic that he came up with, and he says, Jesus is either Lord liar or lunatic that's about the only explanations you could come up through for for who he is he's either a man who claimed to be god because he clearly claims he says i and the father are one no one comes to the father except through me his claims in scripture about his deity are very clear so he's either a man who is lying and deceiving people and going around saying I'm God and he knows he's not and if that's the case he's not a good teacher he's not a moral man in fact he is evil if he's doing that and all his teachings Jesus teachings are of the highest moral order the highest character or he's a lunatic he thinks he's God He's deceived himself. He thinks he's God, but he's really not. And he's going around telling everybody I'm God, but he's not. And he's a crazy man. Yet again, when you read the teachings of Jesus, 
They're not the talk of a lunatic, of somebody who's crazy. Or either come to the conclusion that he is exactly who he claims to be. He's Lord. The only other conclusion I could come up with is you say, this book is just legend and it's all made up. Somebody wrote it about him and we could look at apologetics for the Bible. And another time, the Bible holds, it stands. We're going to see today, we're going to see a list of names, a list of places, of things that happened that historically are proven. The places mentioned in our scripture today exist. You can go there and stand there. The Bible's not rooted in fiction. My um, favorite apologetic, the one that's stuck with me and that I can't escape, the disciples. Eleven of the twelve disciples went and died for their faith. Peter, crucified upside down. His brother Andrew, crucified on an X, on an X-shaped cross. Philip, tortured and impaled with poles. James, beheaded. James, son of Alphaeus, stoned and beaten with a club. Matthew, staked to the ground and speared to death. Thomas, speared in India. The apostle Paul, who wrote this, would be beheaded himself. Now here's what's true. People will die for what they believe. That happens every day. People believe in a cause and they will die for what they believe. But here's what people won't die for. What they know is a lie. People will not die for something they know is a lie. And those disciples... If you and I die for our faith, we die for what they, we believe. The disciples, here's what they died for. What they believe they saw. What they touched. They said, we touched Jesus. We saw Jesus. We saw him risen. Now, if that wasn't true, you wouldn't have 11 of the 12 disciples willing to die for their faith. As they're about to crucify Peter, you go, hey, I'm not dying for a lie. We made it up. Let me live. No, they all died because they knew that Jesus indeed had risen from the dead. And the only disciple who didn't die for his faith was John, who was boiled in oil. And they tried to kill him, but God allowed him to live so he could write the book of Revelation. Now, our faith holds up, and it makes sense. You know one of, the greatest testimony, one of the greatest apologetics we have is that of a personal testimony. What God has done in our lives. Like, we, we all are sinners, and yet God somehow redeems us and uses us. One of my good friends here in Ethiopia, who's been a dear brother and who has served this church well, one of our elders... Many of you know a man named Trent Post. Before Trent became a Christian, society said your sins are so great that the consequences you get to go to prison. Now, I never tell somebody's story without permission, and this is written in a book, so I think I asked Trent if I could share. But his sins were so great in the eyes of society, that they said, we're putting you in jail. 
and it's there that the hound of heaven, that our Lord Jesus Christ got a hold of his life, redeemed him, transformed him. And if any of you, those of you who know Trent know this is true, he is one of the most godly, sacrificial, Jesus-loving men I know. And that doesn't happen unless Jesus gets in your life and transforms you. That's the power of what God does. He takes people that we look and say, there's no way God would save them. And he turns their lives around. He changes them. And if you're here today and you're going, you mean I see as an elder that used to be in prison? If that bothers you, I'll tell you, you may not have tasted the glorious grace of Christ. Because what we should look at and go, God's grace is enough for those that our society would say is the worst. And you may also not realize this. Your sin is just as grievous. Your sin is just as offensive to God. But God came and rescued you. Well, today in the book of Galatians, what we're going to see is a personal testimony by a man who everybody goes, this guy is the worst. If you were a Christian, the greatest enemy of Christianity after the ascension of Jesus Christ was a man named Saul of Tarshish. If you heard the name Saul, you ran. You don't want Saul coming near you. You're terrified of this man because he is the leader of destroying Christians. He hates Christianity so much that he wants to kill those who proclaim the gospel. That's the type of man this is. He's the worst that you could think of. But God. 20% of the book of Galatians deals with testimony from Paul, personal nature. Paul gives his testimony seven times. Three times in the book of Acts, four times in his letters. Why? Because one of the greatest testimonies to the power and the deity of Jesus Christ is your life, is my life. We're not the same. He's transformed us. He's changed us. So let's read our passage today. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 24. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 24. Hear the word of our Lord. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers, but... When he who had set me apart 
before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained there with him 15 days. But when I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, we do rejoice over your word. We thank you for your word. It declares that all men are like grass. All our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But your word, O oh Lord, your word stands forever. May this be the word that is faithfully preached today. Unless you speak, nothing of any eternal significance will be spoken here today, Lord Jesus. So speak, we pray. Amen. A little bit of what's happening in the book of Galatians. Paul goes on his first missionary journey. Great success in the region of Galatia. He comes back. Everything's great. But then he hears a report that there have been people following Paul and going to the churches he started teaching that Christ is not enough. That your identity still must be Jewish. You've got to identify with the Jewish customs and keep those in order to truly be saved is what they're saying. And they're teaching an error, a heresy, something that's not truly in line with the good news of the gospel. Because the good news of the gospel is this, Christ is sufficient. He's enough. He's done it all. You and I bring nothing. But what they're doing is they're attacking Paul's message and him as the messenger. So Paul is doing a defense of both the faith and a defense of who he is. I'm going to show you five things in our passage today. The first one is this. In verse 11 and 12, we don't preach man's gospel. Don't preach man's gospel. If you've got your bulletin, you can write that in there. It's don't preach man's gospel. Paul is coming around saying, for some of you, for I would have you know. He wants them to know something. Here's what he wants them to know. I'm not preaching man's gospel. What is man's gospel? But it always has the same heart to it. Man's gospel is this. You do something. You be really good. You help people. You earn your way into heaven. You do religious practices or you have a certain identity from a certain people group or a certain nation or a certain family. He's dealing heavily in this book with the idea of where is your identity? Is your identity sufficiently in Christ or is your identity in 
your Judaism? Is your identity in the nation you come from? Is my identity more in the fact that I'm an American from the United States or is it in Christ more? He's dealing with all these things and saying, no, it's Christ alone. One of the false gospels often taught or often believed today is the gospel of the nice person. If someone's nice and really kind and people like them, and surely that's enough. And what that fails to understand is the depth of our sin and the fullness of Christ and our need for a Savior. That all of our niceness is often about us. I want people to perceive me a certain way. I want the glory. I want the recognition. I want to be uh, known as a nice person. And we look and go, if they're nice, there's no way. But that's not enough. You see, it's Christ alone. It's not Christ plus be a really nice person. And you can tell some people who think that way, they look at sins in a hierarchy. This is a really bad sin. This isn't a big deal sin. And the nice person, their sins aren't that big. Or at least they don't think they are. God says all have sinned. All our sin deserves death. It doesn't matter what our sin is. Sure, the consequence of sin is different on earth. Some sin here on earth can get you put in prison. In some sin, you can hide away and let no one see it. Yet it brings the same destructive element between you and God. So here we often want to lessen our sins. One of the ways you know that you lessen sin is you call it a mistake. I just made a mistake. Now we go, I sinned. I sinned against a brother. I sinned against God Almighty. You see, one of the hard things for us is the gospel. I mentioned this last week. is so simple. It's very simple. We've sinned. Christ is sufficient. He paid the price. He died the death you deserved. He lived the life you couldn't live. And he rose from the dead so that you too can live forever. And all you have to do is believe. That's just so simple. We struggle with it. Now on down in verse 13, Paul says, you've heard of my former way of life. Here's the second thing I want you to know. Grace covers our past. All of us have a past. Some of us are still dealing with the shame of our past before we walked with the Lord. Some of you deal with the shame of continual struggle and sin. But God's grace is enough. That's the scandal of it. God's grace is enough to cover your sin. And Paul begins to speak, hey, I was violently persecuting Christians. There's no one in the New Testament that's a bigger enemy of Christianity. We have two early enemies of Christianity. One of them was Herod. Herod tried to destroy Christians. He died and was eaten by worms. Tragic. The other is Saul. Saul 
met Christ, his life was turned around, and he was transformed, took on the name Paul. That's what God does. And those two men, all of those, all of us, that's one of the two places we're headed. Either Christ is going to turn our life around like he did Saul, or like Herod, they'll die in rebellion to Christ and be eaten by worms here. Now Paul in verse 14, look at what he says. I was advancing in Judaism beyond those of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Hear this. Paul was sincere. He was passionate about Judaism. You would not meet a more passionate person than Paul, a more zealous Judaizer than Paul. He was advancing. He was the leader. He was the young superstar. And in Jewish culture, you wanted your children. Parents, when you look and go, my children, I'm really proud of them. My son, he's on the Sanhedrin. He's a religious leader. And Paul, he's the biggest star of his day. And Paul says all of that essentially is meaningless. He was sincere and zealous about the wrong things. That's one of those tragic testimonies of anybody's life. I was passionate. I was successful in all the wrong things. I was successful in things that aren't going to last, that aren't going to be eternal, that aren't going to matter, that didn't point people to Jesus. Now, Paul was successful in all the wrong things, and God transformed his life. In verse 15, he says, But, Scripture, that's a beautiful word. Bad news, Paul was rebellious. Here, we hear the word, but. We love that word whenever watching a sporting event. The other team scored a goal, but there was a penalty. Bad news, you've got a disease, but there's a treatment that's effective. Those buts are beautiful, and here, that's what he says, but when he who set me apart before I was born was pleased to reveal his son to me. He called me by grace. Grace is something you don't deserve. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. God gives it to you. Third point we see is God's grace revealed in Christ saves. God's grace revealed in Jesus Christ, that's what saves you. You cannot save yourself. Only God Almighty can save you. And he saves Jesus. He saves Paul here and redeems him through Christ. He revealed him to him. And Paul goes on to preach. Now list all these cities. Again, getting back to these are real places. Damascus. It's a city. Still around today. And Paul walks through all these people and these things that happened in his life, how he's proving that his message does not come from man. It comes from Christ. That's what Paul is showing. My message is not from man. It's from Jesus Christ. And in verse 17, he begins to talk about him revealing it. 
And our fourth point is this. God uses sinners like you and me. Some of you look at your life and you go, how can God use me? I've made too many mistakes. I've waited too long. My life is nearly spent. God can't use me. No, that's only people God uses is those who go, I have nothing to offer. I'm empty-handed. There's nothing I have to give. All I can do is say, Christ, look to Him. He saves, He redeems, and keep pointing people to Jesus. God uses sinners like you and me. That's glorious good news that He uses us for His glory. Our primary role, the reason God leaves us here, He gives you a testimony like He gave Paul. Your testimony is different than Paul's. You have a testimony that's unlike anybody else on earth. And some of you look and go, my testimony's not as exciting as Paul's. My sins weren't so bad that I had to be locked up. Some of us look and go, my story's not that exciting, but it's not about you. Your story's about this. I was headed in the wrong direction. I was living for myself. But God's grace through Christ came and saved me. You see, Scripture teaches this. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, Romans 3.23 says, All, all have sinned. We've heard that before. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. That's one of the things that unifies us. As Christians, we don't go out and tell the world we're better than you. We're not. A lot of people say, I don't follow Christ because the Christians don't appear to be that much better. It's like, well, we still struggle with sin. But our Savior's better. Our Savior's glorious. We come together to remind ourselves of that. So all of us have sinned. Nobody escapes it. We all fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 teaches this. The wages of sin is death. Here's what your sin cost. Death. You deserve death. Not just like physical death. We're all going to encounter that. But it's like total spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. Death. That's what your sin earns you. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I love the word free gift. You do nothing to earn a gift. God gives it to you. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates His own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God loves you enough to die. Okay, this is simple. So simple, that's why it's scandalous. But it's beautiful. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't I have to do something? Don't I need some works? Don't I need to show up and be really good? Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. God really raised him. He's alive. And God takes what you deserve. You deserve death. And he says, Jesus took your death. 
You were to live perfectly. You didn't. Jesus did, and he died in your place. He doesn't deserve death. You deserve death. And he took your place. He was a substitute. They're about to kill you, and Jesus steps up and says, I'll take their place. And all you have to do is believe. Gosh, that's simple. It's so easy. That's part of the scandal of Christianity. Our flesh wants man's gospel. We want to do something. He's done it all. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, for us who have trusted in Christ, there's no condemnation for us. When we stand before God, He's not going to look and go, Oh, I remember when you sinned. He's going to look at you and say, Innocent. Because of Christ. Isn't that glorious news? That's the best news we could ever hear. And God calls us to go and declare that to others. And that's why Paul, in the book of Galatians, is so upset when anything is added to the gospel. Your identity. Yeah, you've got to be a Christian. You can trust Christ, but you've got to add your Jewish traditions. Paul's going, no. You can't add anything to what Jesus has done on the cross. He finished it. He completed it. Most of us here have heard this. This isn't new for most of you here. But here's what we often get deceived by. You need to come back to the gospel every single day that you live. Because guess what God wants to do today? Get you living for man's gospel. Sure, you're a Christian, trusted Christ, but that's just too good. I'm going to distract you and get you living for man's gospel. Every day, we have to wake up. And Scripture says, lay our lives as a living sacrifice on the altar. Romans or Hebrews speaks of that. Lay your life as a living sacrifice on the altar. problem with a living sacrifice is this. We like to get off the altar. We'll lay there on the altar for a little bit, but then we'll get up and go, I got I to gotta get to work. It's about me. No, we lay our lives for God's glory as a living sacrifice. And that's what Paul says he's done. I love the last verse that we have today, verse 24. Verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. Our final point for the day is that God can use you to bring himself glory. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God can use you to bring glory to himself? See, we often don't believe it because we don't think we're good enough. That's man's gospel. I'm not good enough for God to bring glory to himself if it's up to me. But it's not up to me. It's God shining through you. It's God working in and through you to bring glory to himself, not to you. It's one of my great hopes for life. If that could be the summary of my life, they glorified God because of me. That would be a life 
live beyond everything I could ever imagine or dream. And let me tell you, that can be the summary of each of your lives here today. Not because of you, but because of Jesus Christ. That when you stand before him in glory, you'll look and say, those people glorified God because of what Christ did in your life. Because you laid your life down and allowed him to shine through. I pray that's our story. If you're here today and you question the gospel, we have people in various seasons of life. Some of our young people, you may be wondering, is this really true? Do, do, do I really believe this? Mom and dad believe this, do I? Some of you may be coming here week after week going, that's just what we do. My wife believes, so I come to church with her, but I don't know if I really believe all that. Today can be the day of salvation. Where God redeems a sinner like you. Because that's all of our stories. God is in the business of redeeming those who are guilty of sin. That's you and that's me. And that's the power not only to save, but it's the power to live in this cruel, broken world. I pray that we know and walk in and taste the grace of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, one thing I know is I'm inadequate to teach your word, to rightly divide your word. I stumble over words. But God, the things that are true of you, they work not because of anything I say. They work because of your power and, and your might and, and, and you're alive. And that's the same for each of us. Some are here today going, God, I, you, you can't really use me. No one's going to glorify you because of my life. When we think that, we don't think properly of you. Because you're a God who can use the very worst. Whoever we think is the very worst, you can use them. Paul was killing Christians and you used him mightily for your purposes. So Lord, I pray over our body. I pray over this congregation that we would taste a beautiful, glorious joy. And it is a joy of living for you. Of allowing you, drawing so near to you that when others look to us, they don't see us. They see you in us. They see you working through us. They see you moving through us, God. And Lord, if there's any here today, and I know there are, who've never truly placed their trust and faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, I pray today is the day of salvation. I pray today is the day that they say, yes, I trust in you. Your work is finished. Because Jesus has done it all. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.